Today, we unreservedly celebrate the resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord. On that first Easter, though, it's important that we remember that things were not quite so clear. Some of the apostles had been to the tomb and found it empty. Mary claimed that she had seen Jesus, as had two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And apparently, from what we read in Scripture, he even had appeared to Simon Peter. But his group of followers were still locked away in the upper room, confused, fearful, and wondering what would happen next. It is there that our sermon text picks up, Luke 24, 36 to 49, If you're able now, out of respect for God's word, would you please rise as I read to you. This is the inspired word of God. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why Do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate Before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, and everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and for practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy of Easter. Thank you for the resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord. And thank you for the resurrection that it promises for us. We pray that today as we turn our attention to your word, that you might fill us with faith. Fill us with joy. Fill us with love, even as you have loved us so very well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's Easter, and in the world around us, Easter means bright colors and happiness and celebration, new life as winter turns to spring, as grass turns green, as flowers start to bloom, as the singing of birds 
fill the air and as after the long gray Michigan winter, the sun returns once more to our sky. But we must be altogether clear about this fact. The idea of resurrection tied to Easter, this notion of new life, is not just an empty symbol. I love John Updike's poem, Seven Stanzas at Easter. We've actually printed it on the back of your bulletin. You might have noticed it there already. If not, I certainly commend it to you to go back and check after the, after the service. But, but in this poem, Updike stresses the point that resurrection at Easter is not just a metaphor. It is about flesh and blood, space and time, actual events which took place in history. And the whole of what the church is and what it proclaims rests upon that fact. 1 Corinthians 15, we just read together our unison scripture reading. If we went a little bit further beyond what we read, we'd see such statements as these made by Paul. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And he doesn't say, well, if he wasn't really raised, at least you're living a better life. At least you're happy. At least you have hope. At least you... You have joy in your life. No, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. Oh, but that's the beauty of the resurrection, isn't it? That is the beauty of the resurrection. It offers hope not just for this life. The gospel is not just a way to, to feel good about what in reality is a really bad situation. No, the gospel actually is the, the faithful, certain promise that though things are really, really bad, Jesus is making them really, really good. The resurrection brings much with it. First off, the resurrection brings peace for our fears. Oftentimes we, we greet one another and we might say, hey, what's up? Hey, how, how are you doing? And, and when we say that, maybe or maybe not, we, we really might not really be all that concerned with how somebody's doing. It's just kind of a colloquialism, right? We're, we're essentially just saying hello. It's just a greeting. It's kind of the, the vernacular of our culture. It's just what's said. In the same way, in, Hebrew, in, in the Hebrew language, uh, the, the word shalom, which means peace, right, is, is used the same way. It's just a greeting. And, and so Jesus gives this very common greeting to the disciples as he shows up in their midst. He stood among them, we read in verse 36, and said to them, peace to you. It's a common greeting, but he brought uncommon meaning to it, right? Because when he's talking about peace here, he actually brings true peace to them, not, not false peace, not, not uh, peace that we're longing for that's the wrong kind of peace like we talked about last week, but rather real and true peace, right? Remember that, that, that this is a locked room. 
And, and they're in this locked room because they're fearful of what's going on outside. They are fearful uh, that, that something bad might happen to them, right? Their, their situation is, is anything but peaceful because all of a sudden, somebody shows up in the room. Somebody who wasn't there a moment ago is now all of a sudden there. That's not normal, right? I, I don't know about you guys, but I think I probably would be a little freaked out too if all of a sudden I'm inside a locked room and somebody just shows up there. Indeed, it says that they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. You can understand why. Dead people don't just come to life again and people dead or alive don't just show up in a room that is locked. But that wasn't the only reason they had fears, right? They were in this locked room because they were fearful. They were fearful of the Jews. They were fearful of the Romans. They were fearful that the fate that Jesus had met on the cross might indeed be the fate that they would meet. They feared for their very lives. And here's the irony of it. Our fate is indeed wrapped up in Jesus. Not just in his death, but also in his resurrection. As the choir sang at the start of our service, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. My friend Matt Redman put it this way. He said, the death and resurrection of Jesus is not only about forgiveness of sins and going to heaven when you die. It means you are completely safe. Safe from the penalty of sin and death, yes, but also safe from everything the world fears. Now that doesn't mean, he, he doesn't mean here that, that no bad thing will happen to us. Indeed, bad things happen to us all the time, right? We face sickness. We, we face hardship. We face broken relationships. We come face to face with death itself. What he means when he says that we need not be fearful of these things is that even though we face them, they are no match for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the risen King. Now that can admittedly be hard to believe at times, right? We, we, we can know that intellectually, but it's hard to live out our life in light of that truth. Sometimes we have doubts, uh, either completely intellectually, I don't know if that's true, or, or even doubts in that I know it's true, but I, I, I waver in my faith and doubt because of that. But that's another thing that the resurrection brings. It brings confidence for our doubts. Verse 37, they're startled, they're frightened, they think they saw a spirit, and then in verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? It's interesting, we need to remember Thomas is not there at this point, right? He'll be back the following week when Jesus arises, arrives again. But on this night, he was not there and, and, and all the disciples are gonna tell him later on, hey, Tom, guess what? Jesus was here. And he's gonna say, well, unless I see him with my own eyes, unless I can feel the wounds with my own fingers, I won't believe and they're like, oh, you're such a doubter, Thomas. We even call him, that's what we call him, right? Doubting Thomas. We have, we have 
idioms in the English language, right? Because of it, we call, oh, you're such a doubting Thomas, you are. But look at the other disciples. They were exactly the same. They, they, they were exactly the same. They had doubts arising in their hearts. And what is it that Jesus did to, to assuage those doubts? He says, see, here are my hands and my feet. It's myself. Touch and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. All of them had doubts. And you know what? That's not surprising because all of us have doubts. They come and go, perhaps. They're bigger sometimes than they are at other times. But that's the reality. We have doubts. What a wonderful beautiful truth it is that Jesus responds graciously to our doubts. You'll notice here in this passage, Jesus doesn't say to them, why do doubts arise in your hearts? I'm done with you guys and disappear, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He, he instead gives them evidences for who he actually is. As Acts 1 verse 3 puts it, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He proved to them, indeed, he's alive. He faces their doubts with grace. But sometimes the good news is just too good to believe, isn't it? Sometimes like, this, this news is just too wonderful. And we see in verse 41 after that, that's how they were. They still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Surely you've had that happen at some point in your life. I, I can't believe it. This is too good to be true. That's what they were feeling. That's what they were thinking. That's what they were experiencing on that day. The greatest thing possible had occurred. And they're asking themselves, is it safe for me to believe this? Is it safe for me to give myself over to this? Because if it's true, then, then everything has changed. All that is bad has been made good, but, but if I give myself over to that and it's not true, oh, heartbreak upon heartbreak. We want to be in a place where we have no doubts, but the reality is we have doubts. It's my hope and prayer that Calvary would be a place that you can bring your doubts to, right? That you don't feel like you have to, have to pretend you have no doubts, pretend you have no questions, pretend you've got your act together, you've got your theology together, you've got everything together and it's all straightened out. And you have to pretend you're something you're not. No, come as you are. Come with your doubts. Jesus is big enough to take it. Let's walk through those doubts together and let's seek him together. And as we seek him, I hope you'll find another thing that the resurrection brings and that is fulfillment for all our longings. Jesus is alive. That's what the disciples found out on that day. Jesus was alive. The worst thing possible had happened Jesus had been killed, murdered, laid in the tomb. He was dead, really dead. And yet now, he is just as truly alive. 
That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about that we read earlier, right? It's not just a metaphor, not just a spirit, not some kind of mass hallucination. Jesus actually rose from the dead in a physical body, right? He says, touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like me. He showed him his hands and his feet, which had been pierced by Roman nails as he hung from the cross. He, he says to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him broiled fish and he ate it. Spirits don't eat, but Jesus did. And, and the fulfillment of their longings is deeper than them just having their friend back. Right? I mean, if you've ever lost a friend, lost a loved one, indeed to have them back would be so wonderful. But this goes beyond that. The fact that he had risen from the dead not just gives them a friend back, but it demonstrates that he has power over death. As Romans 6, 9 says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Right? And so this is the fulfillment, not just of all our longings, but the fulfillment of all God's promises. Right? Sometimes they, they were misinterpreted. Sometimes they were misunderstood. Sometimes ignored. But it's what God had promised all along from the very beginning, that the Christ would live, that the Christ would die, that the Christ would rise again and reign forever. And so we see in verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And in verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. But they didn't understand. It's really a recurring theme we see throughout the Gospels. Right? It goes all the way back to, to when Jesus was just a young boy and, and he disappeared from his family and was gone for a few days, and they were kind of worried, and finally they find him. Where had he been? He had been at the temple. And he said to them, did you not know I must be in my father's house? And we read in Luke 2.50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. It kind of sets a pattern for the whole of his life, right? Mark 9.32, they did not understand the saying. Luke 9.45, they did not understand this saying. John 8, 43, why do you not understand what I say? John 10, 6, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Luke 18, 34, but they understood none of these things. John 12, 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. Matthew 16, 11, how is it that you fail to understand? John 20, verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And Luke 24, Beginning in verse 25, on the road to Emmaus, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? They didn't understand. And so often we don't understand either. Oftentimes we, we live life in such a way and, and we say, God, why would you do it this way? It makes no sense to me. Why do people have to die? Why do people have to suffer? Why do, do you inflict us with, with these situations? Why do you allow all these horrors to come into our lives? God, we don't understand. The good news here is that resurrection brings clarity 
for our confusion. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He gave them eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to comprehend and hearts to receive, right? Because it's not just knowledge that is required, it is faith. It is a heart that trusts in the knowledge that we have learned, that trusts in the one that the knowledge teaches us about. Right? You need to know that Jesus died and rose again, but you need to, to know not just that fact, you need to know that he died for your sins and that he rose again to guarantee life for you having defeated death. You need to know this in your mind, but you need to trust it in your heart. You need to forsake any kind of self-salvation project, any kind of idea that you might be good enough because you are not. You need to realize Truly realize that you are loved by Jesus, not because of how good you are, but because of how good he is. And here's the good news to that, right? If, if the love of Jesus for Pete is conditioned on how good Pete is, what happens when I'm not quite as good? What happens when I trip up? What happens when I stumble in sin? What happens when I'm not as good as I once was? If the love of Jesus is based on how good I am, then I'm always wandering into and out of the love of Jesus. Have I been good enough today? I don't know. Maybe not. But if instead the love that Jesus has for me is based upon his goodness, and his grace, and his character, and his person, and how good that news that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing I can do to fall out of the love of Jesus. The resurrection doesn't say we're good, it says we're forgiven, right? And that's the next thing resurrection brings, forgiveness for our guilt. Right? The, the idea is we are all guilty. There is none of us that stands righteous before God on our own, but Jesus died for our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who was crucified for us, who bore our penalty on the cross, and we have forgiveness in him. And so verse 47 says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. It's pretty much what we said two weeks ago, right, when we commissioned the Coopers, for, for their missionary service, right? We talked about the Great Commission where it said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? That is the mission that God has given to the church and that is the mission he has given us as individuals. That is the purpose for our lives. So we see that as the next thing that the resurrection brings. It brings purpose for our lives, Right, that same thing is pretty much said here, that this truth should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Right, it's not just a, a little American thing or, or a, a little thing here or a little thing there. To all the nations. There is nobody who ought not to hear this message. Right, because ultimately the plan of God is that, that people would be gathered from every nation to worship him. John speaks of this vision in, in Revelation 7, 
chapter uh, 7, verse 9, he says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is Jesus Right? It's, it's an international thing. All people groups. But even so, it begins at home, doesn't it? Right? Verse 47, it should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, where they were. So we bring the truth of the gospel around the world, around the globe, to all nations indeed. But we also share it with family and neighbor, co-worker, and friend. He says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things, right? Witness can mean two things, right? A witness is somebody who saw something, right? I, I went to a baseball game once with my dad. Ozzie Smith hit a home run to win the game. It was incredible. We went crazy. I witnessed it with my own eyes right there. But being a witness can mean more than just beholding something, more than just seeing it. It can mean bearing witness, giving testimony, telling others about it, like I just did a second ago, right? You, you are a witness in court if you testify to something. And so that's the idea. We've observed, yes, but now testify. You have seen the glory of Christ Jesus. You have seen the glory of the risen Lord. Now testify to it. Tell others about it. Now this might be difficult. It might be hard. People might think you're crazy. You might not have the words to say. You might be uncomfortable with it. People might not like what you have to say. How can I do this? Well, that's the last thing that we have here that resurrection brings is it brings power for our purpose. Right? You're saying, I can't do that, but Jesus says, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Right? The promised spirit he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And Jesus says in Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He gives that same spirit to all who are his. It's his power at work in and through you that enables you to do this thing that he has given you. So the same power that created everything out of nothing is at work in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. The same power that gave you life when you were dead in your sins is at work in you now, and now that power by which God is at work through you will empower you to share the gospel with others, to share its truth with others, to share the glory of Christ Jesus and his resurrection. So we see the resurrection brings peace and confidence and fulfillment and clarity and forgiveness and purpose and power. Do you want these? If so, then trust in Jesus. Trust in him today. Do not try to save yourselves, but, 
but look to him, turn to him, throw yourself upon him, Jesus, the risen king. In closing, I'm reminded of a passage from Tolkien's The Return of the King. In it, Gandalf, the great wizard, has died. But now, all of the sudden, somehow, mysteriously, inexplicably, he has returned to life and he is more glorious than ever. We read, with that, Gandalf stood before him, robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow in the twinkling of the leafy sunlight. Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel, he says. But Sam lay back and stared with open mouth, and for a moment between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days. Without count, it fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then, as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up and laughing he sprang from his bed. How do I feel, he cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel, he, he waved his arms in the air. I, I feel like spring after winter, the sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. You see, that's what, that's what ultimately the resurrection is all about. It's about the fact that the great shadow has departed. Sin, betrayal, denial, accusation, humiliation, crucifixion, death, burial, the resurrection means this great shadow has departed. It has been eradicated by the one who is the light of the world. All that is sad is coming untrue. Satan and sin, hell and the grave have been defeated by Jesus. So let us worship him today. Let us worship him always. Let us worship with joyful song. Let us worship with obedient lives. Let us worship him with all that we have and all that we are. Let us worship Christ, the risen King. Amen. Would you pray once more with me? Our Lord, we do worship you today. We thank you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, your love. We thank you that you do not treat us as we deserve, but rather treat us out of your character, your humility, your love. You, you treat us so much better than we could ever imagine. Lord, help us to love as you have loved us. 
and help us to see you as you truly are. May we behold your glory, your risen glory, and be moved to worship you. Even as we throw our crowns before you, even as we bow before you at your feet, even as we worship you, the risen King, even Jesus our Lord. Amen. If you're able, please rise now as we sing hymn 369, Worship Christ, the risen King.